Well, thank you for all uh, helping out on the retreat. For, for us, it's quite an important time because we live, we do a lot during the year, and for the Sangha to be able to put the tools down and close down the computers for a few months is very, very helpful for our life. So we really appreciate that you want to take this up. Um, but it's a, it's really a beautiful opportunity because very, very few people get that chance to be on retreat for so long, since just such a long period. And you, you learn things you're surprised you learn. Right? You're surprised you're there. Um, the, the, my idea was on the fifth, on the evening of the fifth, to start a uh, a group retreat, maybe for until I thought of going till January the sixteenth, because January sixteenth is the day we commemorate the passing of Ajahn Chah. So at uh, Wapapong, at the central monastery in Thailand, they have a gathering from the 11th to the 16th. And I've been there the last three years. I missed it this year because I had other things. But that gathering, the final day, I think last year there were 1,400 monks and 30,000 lay people. So it's, it's, it's like a little kumela of Buddhism. And so there are two days when we kind of think of Ajahn Chah, our kind of lineage teacher, June 16th and January 16th. And so it'd be a kind of fitting way to finish off that two, uh, kind of almost two-week retreat. And then after that, we usually um, set it up so that some of the monks are in complete solitude and, and some of the monks come for breakfast and lunch. And then what we would hope is that the lay group, you guys, would run your own morning meditation and evening meditation. So you kind of support, you support each other by doing that. And it, last year worked quite nicely where there was a lovely sense of, of your own community as well as our larger community. It seemed to work quite well. Um, so that's the pattern we used last year. It worked. It worked okay. And so I imagine that um, I think Venerable uh, Kamiko and I will split split the duties of sort of being available for any teaching or any functional needs. And Venerable Chunda, we've invited him to go on a retreat for the whole time from the end of from January 16th onwards. Uh, he's he's a hard worker and he gets sort of caught up in detail and so we thought if you just put it all down it'd be really really good for him. You probably noticed that in the kitchen. He's got a great sense of detail so he was up for that and we we're up for that. Um, and so what I thought in terms of teaching I like to teach uh, in this occasion after breakfast and I like to teach whenever we're starting a meditation session. So the, the retreat, um, the schedule will be we have the morning and evening meditation, uh, puja, five and seven. And then uh, there'll be no group meditation after breakfast because you'll be busy with your chores and kitchen and all that. But we'll have a group meditation after, after lunch. So maybe, 
you know, something like uh, two o'clock we come together, do an hour sitting, hour walking, hour sitting again. And I like to give instruction at that time, I find that. It kind of works for me. And then give an evening talk. So hopefully I can give you lots, well, some ideas of stuff that works for me. Um, and then in terms of your own practice, please realize that uh, I'm, I'm always available and monks are always available, especially the ones who are uh, here for breakfast and lunch. So I'd really actually appreciate getting to know you. So if, if we make some time and you tell me about your practice, maybe I can offer some reflection. I'm more than, uh, more than keen, more than keen to help that way or to bounce some ideas around with you. Um, I have, fortunately or unfortunately, I have to go back to Thailand in March. We have, um, we have a Buddha image which being, is being cast, and I had hoped the casting ceremony was going to be in December for various circumstances, so I have to go back for 10 days. And I know it sounds kind of, oh, I have to go back to Thailand, but actually I think it's going to be pretty punishing because it's a hot season. I don't, I don't do well in the heat, and I can't take any snow with me, so... Anyway, so I'll, but I'll try to be back for the end of the retreat. Yeah, so in, in a retreat, it's, there's something about a retreat that you can really set your mind up to try to get something. And now I've got three months. Now I'm going to have some kind of experience or some kind of attainment. That will cause you a lot of suffering. You know, just the very mind which is trying to get something is a mind which is not, is not with the present moment. So you want to look at that. So if your mind is thinking in that way, oh, I can, I'll achieve this or I'll achieve that or I'll get this state of that state, try to just know that as, as an object of mind. That, that will always bring you to peace. Whereas if you get um, drawn into that in this kind of insidious way that happens with craving, you could be really trying to get something and not realize that you're actually causing yourself a lot of suffering. Because that the whole manifestation of Buddhist peace is the, the abandonment of craving, the letting go of craving, letting go of becoming, and trusting, trusting in awareness. So that's the kind of thing I think I'll emphasize. Um, I'm not a technique kind of guy. I've never, I've never been... I started out in very kind of specific techniques, but I never f found them, for my own character, too willful, too controlling. So I found it <clears throat> much more helpful for me is like just the general understanding of what awareness is, how to come to bring that, to bring the mind to that sense of peaceful awareness, and then choosing an object to sustain that. And that's the kind of thing I like to talk about. <clears throat> but whatever, you know, whatever methods you have and the things that work for you, you know, go for it, as long as it's within the boundaries of the eight precepts. Um, <clears throat> so if I say things which don't, don't make sense, don't worry about it, just get on with Because much, much of the meditative life, it's, it's intuitive. You know, you kind of try stuff and, and it doesn't work, and then you try, oh, and that works, and you you kind of find your way in, in a way which isn't just through um, intellectual structures that you try to impose on your psyche. That's not what you're doing. You, you, can, you can do that, you can try that. You, you read about some teaching, you get a list of things, and then you try to impose that 
on your mind, but then you're not mindful. You're trying to make your own mind some kind of a model, which, which isn't there. Whereas a reflective teaching is more like, okay, that's what the guy says, or that's what the book says. And then you look at your own mind and say, where is that in my mind? Where is that in my experience? And that reflective kind of practice is, is very intuitive. And, and um, that's why sometimes just talking through stuff with a teacher or a friend, you bounce ideas around, rather than get just like, like you have to do this or you have to do that. It's interesting trying to teach when you're sick because your your mind says, "Oh, poor me." And you get the vibe like trying to cook when you're sick, right? Whatever it is, or be a nurse when you're sick. So, but you you can always, with awareness, you can always know the very feeling of, "I don't want to do this. Uh, I don't want to function like this," and still do it, and not feel. And and awareness isn't the kind of repressive thing. Like, like I come into a room and I don't feel like teaching, I can be aware of it. I don't even feel like saying anything, and then I say something. So it's not repressing that feeling, right? It's not denying its existence. It's saying, "Yeah, you're there, but I can also do this." So it's always a kind of peaceful coexistence with the negative or the positive, but but trying to fulfill our responsibilities, and then our responsibilities give us something that is bigger than us, you know, bigger than my own mood or bigger than my own uh, preference in the moment. And we need that. I think we really need that. And you all know that. You're all accomplished people in the, in, in the world. So the same way with the, with, the, with the retreat. You know, there are things that you like about each other, there are things you dislike about each other. And, you know, I'll say something which will be inspiring. I'll say something which will be insulting. You know, you know it's just, just the way things work. And you'll be affected by that we are affected by each other and you know that affect and the challenge is how can you be with the affects of life see them come and go through you and not be preoccupied with them for hours at a time that's a challenge especially you know, speech and interaction views and opinions about kitchens or snow removal or you know these things will come up this is the nature of it but if your if your attitude is if our attitude is always so how, how can I help the people here do this retreat? How can I help you have a uh, you know be, have kind of a situation where you feel safe, where you feel you can explore your own mind, where where um, you you feel uh, it's a good place to practice? And that attitude makes uh, all differences possible. But not to deny the differences, not to say that you kind of. Because you can't, we can't like each other 24-7. It's just not real. But disliking is not permanent. Neither is liking, but awareness. Awareness which knows that being drawn to someone and being repelled by someone, you know that. Then you find a place in your mind which is truly peaceful. And then you relate in a really um, skillful way. So the challenges of community. I've been in community for too many years probably. And I've seen um, all kinds of human stuff going on, it's like family, I guess, and um, we as human beings, we're strong, you know, we have, we have strong views, and we have strong experiences, and as individuals, we've been, to some extent, successful with those views and opinions, and then we come into a situation, now you got, how many we got, we got six plus six, twelve views and opinions, 
and then then sometimes it doesn't seem harmonious. So the the routines that we have, the eight precepts, the vinaya, the kind of duties and responses help help us to live as community. But what you, what you find is any differences that arise if you use them for developing awareness, you 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 actually they're they're the vehicle for peace. I know for myself sometimes I've been in large monasteries where I've I've not understood a monk, you know, just get really confused by by his character or his his national way of like just like in say at Amaravati, uh, an Englishman would tell a joke to a German. You know, it's just they don't get it. The German thinks he's being insulted by the Englishman, and there's no intention, but there is there is a kind of friction that comes from that. Or uh, like Westerners are kind of in your face about criticism. Ties, you just don't do that. You don't, you don't, you don't criticize face to face. So a Westerner then goes to a Thai monk and says, you know, you shouldn't have done that. For a Thai, that's like bad news. He thinks he's being attacked. So you get you know, you get all these different ways that we interpret life and so on. But if your if your focus is on awareness, take awareness as your refuge, then you see liking and disliking arising, conflict coming and going, harmony coming and going, but your your refuge is always awareness to get through anything. So everything should anything on our treat should strengthen awareness. And then it all kind of makes sense and it's meaningful.